As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Okay, James, we're back with a post-Game 3, pre-Game 4 Leaf Report podcast. Uh, we're no longer in the rented Hyundai. Yeah, we actually made it back. That was a pretty successful journey, I would say. It was exhausting. It was like a... Well, for you, it was like, what, a 15-hour travel day? Yeah, it wasn't... It wasn't. I finally feel like myself. So we traveled, we, we traveled like the entire day. I got home at 1 in the morning, and then you cover a game the next day, and you're working until like 2 in the morning, and... It's okay. The McDonald's was really good. <laughs> All I had to eat the entire day was McDonald's french fries. And they were delicious. All right. Uh, where should we start? Let's start with reasons for optimism for the Leafs heading into game four and maybe just the series in general. What kind of sticks out in your mind? Obviously, the biggest thing is they played their best game at game three. It was a very close game. It could have went either way. Anderson played better. Riley played better. Um, they the Leafs had a lot of really good chances. Uh, they didn't take penalties. I think the reasons for optimism are that they're on home ice. They've got a great record on home ice. You can see how big a difference having the matchups makes. 
in that Babcock can get Matthews away from Chara more than he can in Boston. So No, I don't know if that's true. Not Chara, Bergeron. He can get them away from both of them. The goal he scored yeah, was guess, not against Chara. I guess it was like he played nine minutes against Chara and like, I guess, six or seven against other guys. Is that about right? I think that's about right. In in the game in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's... Because, like, for D, it's it's easier to get your D on the ice, even on the road. It's hard to get your, your forward lines. I thought it was interesting that Matthews got the goal against Krug and Miller. And I, I wonder, he was on... Miller's on that right side, and he got burned a couple of times. The one where the the long pass went went past, went through him, uh, and Krug couldn't get back uh, ahead of Marlowe. And then on the uh, the Matthews goal, he was on Miller's side of the ice on that right D side. We've talked a lot about Boston potentially targeting the right D of um, of the Leafs, but it could go the other way as well. With mm-hmm. is McQuaid on the right? Yeah, McQuaid's on the right side, and Miller's on the right side. A lot of NHL teams have a hard time on the right side, so if they can get Nylander and Matthews cycling the puck between each other on that right side of of the ice, left side for them, I guess, in the offensive zone. There's potentially an opening there if they're not up against uh, Chara and McAvoy. Well, and that's what Matthews was saying after game two, that they just wanted to spread the Bruins out a little bit by doing exactly that. And I guess, so the Matthews getting going is obviously a, a reason for optimism. Well, have, have you heard Bruce Cassidy talking about it as well? He says that they want to keep them on the boards because they don't like it when they have the middle of the ice. When someone like Nylander or Matthews has the middle of the ice, they, they, can, see, they can see all the options. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're on the boards, they have much fewer options, and it's simpler to contain them. So we're, game three, they looked much, much more like the Leafs team that we saw during the regular season. I mean, that's probably the best positive. Yeah, they played fast. They look like themselves. And you pointed that out after the game, that just about every player probably played better. There were um, some long stretches where they had cycles and they had the Bruins running around, and the Matthews goal was a good example of that. If you watch that play unfold, it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Krug and Miller were really tired and they were having a hard time containing them. Well, and obviously a big point in that game was the Thomas Placanich line. Um, containing-ish Patrice Bergeron. I thought they were really effective early in the game. They were actually forcing that line to play defense. Bergeron's line kind of got going as the game went on, but if you can hold a line that was just killing them in games one and two to nothing um, and also score two goals that's a that's a big thing what was your thought process going into the game when you knew that Mike Babcock was going to use 35 year old Thomas Placanich against Bergeron it was definitely a gamble given the way Placanich has played for the Leafs since coming over he hasn't played very well but I know that he's been telling people that he's not comfortable in that fourth line role playing nine or ten or eleven minutes a game it's just he's not used to that and he feels like he, he can be much, much more effective if he's playing 15 to 20 minutes than he's used to. I mean, he's been a big-minute guy through most of his career. I think that he elevated his game, and that's what we saw in Game 3 is probably the best you're going to get out of Placanich. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Bergeron line still had about 60% of the scoring chances. Yeah. So I think part of the problem is that Placanich, A, isn't going to generate any offense, and B, the offense that they're going to get from Marlowe and Marner is going to be kind of the one-and-done try and get those rushes and the Bruins for sure are going to be looking they've been talking about it for two days now those stretch passes I don't think you're going to see those get through again so the Leafs are going to have to generate offense in a different way than they did in game three well the thing for Pekanich is you look at some of like his his past history in Montreal he played a lot like he was playing like 20 minutes a game basically every season of his career 
But you're, that's just not going to happen here. Like, there's no world when, when Nazem Kadri comes back where he's going to be playing that many minutes. So the challenge for him is to be able to find a way to make a difference in 10 or 11. And, and you can understand how that would be hard. Like, you're just not getting into a, a rhythm of the game. The problem, people are saying, oh, well, maybe you just put Kadri on that fourth line with Janssen and Kapanen. But the problem is you're not going to have last change. That's so, hogwash. Kadri's one of your three best right. players. But also, even if like you think that Plakanich is the answer to the Bergeron line, you're not going to be able to get him out there against them in Boston anyway. So there's no point in creating that line just for that purpose because they're, they're not going to play against the Bergeron line. It's silly to even talk about. Come on, like, well, like let's there's just say, no concept where that makes say, any sense. Let's just say Plakanich has the game of his life, and Bergeron's line is in its own end the entire game, and it looks unbelievable. And doesn't matter. They they still can't do it because you're not going to be able to use that line against the Bergeron line, and that line without that that function, as I said, they're not a great offensive line other than the long bomb passes, which they're probably not going to get again. But if he can like if he can hold up in this for one more game, and I'm yeah. not entirely sure that He's he a can, it's fine. Like that, and and you know what? If that works for two games, may, the trade becomes kind of worth it. Like even if they get eliminated in five games, six games, I know it's a second round pick and there's some value to it. But like if he can, if they didn't have him, they wouldn't have an option. Like they'd be re- it would be Neander, which I have argued is probably a better move, but. Um, you mentioned Frederick Anderson. I'm a little less – I'm not sure that that's an, a reason for optimism. I didn't think he was – I mean, obviously in the third period he was good. But he was also – the two goals that he gave up in the first couple periods were not good. And he has not looked comfortable in this series at all. It's, he's looked like he did down the stretch. I guess what I'm saying is that he's trending more in the right direction to what he can be. So that the that's optimi- based on a period. The optimism is that he looked a little bit better. I know what you're saying. So in the comments on my story the other day, they said they're really they they feel good about what the team looked like at even strength. They're really really worried about two things: Anderson and the penalty kill. And the penalty kill, the one they had was terrible. Well, so these are the reasons for pessimism. The penalty kill, like you said, it it was like five more seconds and it was going to be a goal or like you know what I mean like it just felt like inevitable that Boston was going to score yeah it's clear it's in their head right now yeah and the penalty kill wasn't great down the stretch whatever Boston has picked out of the Leafs penalty kill how to pick it apart it is working and the Leafs don't know what they're doing and they're flying all it didn't even look like in practice they really worked on fixing the penalty kill I think that the coaching staff a little bit has been in denial all year even last year they talked about it like this we got a good penalty kill and like even by their percentages I think they were 81.4 percent I think they were 14th or like 12th or something like that tied for 11th I think or something like that and and like but if you look beyond the a lot of that was goaltending if you look beyond the percentages they give up a lot of chances the other team has a lot of zone time uh, when when the Leafs are, are shorthanded. I haven't really liked the penalty kill all year this year or even last year. And they play Hainsey too much there. They play Zaitsev too much there. They play good. And the thing I've noticed with Hainsey is he gets tired and he doesn't get the puck out. So I don't. I, I think they need a much more mobile approach shorthanded, but it's too late in the year, obviously, to, to change up what they've done. Well, you believe that they, for a while now, and I, and I don't disagree with this either, is they should be playing Morgan Riley more. They should be playing Jake Gardner more. They should even use Travis Dermott to kill penalties just because they're mobile. Like, and they can get the puck back, and they can skate it out, and they can do all kinds of things that Polak, Zaitsev, Hainsey can't. I've talked to Dermott about this when we were in Boston, and it'll be a story at some point. Um, obviously, Dermott didn't have a great game in Game 3 and only played 12 minutes as a result of a mistake early in the game. But I think eventually he's going to be a penalty killer. And, you know, in practice they have him 
playing on that unit. He's in all the meetings for the penalty kill. He killed a lot of penalties with the Marlies. He fully expects that that's going to be one of the roles that he assumes mm-hmm. uh, when he's when he's more established as an NHL player. Uh, I think even as early as next season, he should be on the PK a lot more. I think one of the, the sneaky things in this series, and it hasn't really made a, a difference just yet. Actually, you hinted on it in a story you did for The Athletic about kind of the, the depth lines for the Leafs topping the depth lines for the Bruins. But I think the fourth line in very, very limited ice time, like the Kapanen and Janssen played like six or seven minutes in game three. They had three or four really good chances. And I think it's going to be really interesting when Leo Komarov is ready to come back. He's not going to play in game four. It's really, really hard to deny that that fourth line hasn't been more threatening. Like we thought it would be if those guys got in the lineup. I wonder... I don't know. Like I don't. I don't think Komarov's not going to play when he's healthy, but it certainly he makes he shouldn't. He shouldn't play. Yeah. The thing too that that fans maybe don't see is that Komarov's knee looks like hell in the dressing room. Is what we see. He's like got it all. He's got like a huge brace on it and bandages and all this stuff. His mobility has been declining over the last few years with age, and I think with the knee injury, it probably declines even more. And his offensive ability is just, it's its at an all-time low right now. So you look at the numbers of when Kapanen and Janssen get some minutes against Chara, in, in which they are because Babcock is, is pulling Matthews a little bit away from Chara. Um, they're, just their speed is really hard for even really good, the really good players on the Bruins to contain. So they need to keep both those, those guys in the lineup. I think Janssen's been great, and, and Babcock has said as much. Uh, what else were we going to discuss? What else do you want to talk about? What about... What about... Um, well, let's talk about Patrick Marlowe. Patrick Marlowe with the two goals. You're writing a story about him. Hopefully by the time that people read this or listen to this, that story will be up on The Athletic. It should be. But basically, the, the, the idea of the story is that there's this perception around Patrick Marlowe that he didn't perform in the playoffs. And when you go through the numbers, it's like just the opposite. Which I guess doesn't surprise someone like you, but... It, it kind of shows you the power of narrative to kind of take hold over reality, I guess. Well, all those Sharks players have that. Like like Joe Thornton is one of the best players of his era and a for surefire Hall of Famer. And then there's this thing over his head where not a winner doesn't get it done in the playoffs. And then you look at the numbers and it's like, wait, wait a minute. And <laughs> it's the same with Patrick Marlowe. I mean, like you're looking at his goals per game totals in the playoffs and he's right up there with the best players in the last 20 years that have been in the NHL. So... You know the thing that his he's an it's another thing that that speed on the wings that the Leafs have with Marner and Marlow uh, is is really working for the Leafs, and I think it's a big reason why if you look at possession or you look at scoring chances generated, mm-hmm. it's a reason why the Leafs are or they're better on their lines two, three, and four than the Bruins are, and that's if they're going to win this series, they're going to have to keep getting goals from those lines. They they need that that Brown JVR Bozak line to put in a big goal or two and they threatened a little bit in game three and I think they could threaten more so mm-hmm. you know um, I think that's how they're going to win this series I mean I, it's it's great if Matthews can keep pace with what the Bergeron line is doing I don't think that he's going to be the one that is going to be able to, to carry them all the way well so if we skip ahead past game four and obviously game four is a really important thing but game five Kadri would come back Bergeron would again be facing in, facing the Matthews line and then Kadri like that's when you need the Kadri line to come through. That's when you need the Van Riemsdyk line to come through, and that's when you need maybe your fourth line to get you a goal. Um, with that that Van Riemsdyk line, do you see it kind of playing out the same way it did against Washington, or do you think they've been better 
against some of the depth lines that, that the Bruins have because there have been stretches where that line has gotten pinned in its own end and kind of all that stuff from last year surfaces in your mind I think it's a line that you got to be careful with when it's out there and what they were running into in Boston a little bit is that uh, the, the the blue line the often they're out there with Polak would ice the puck and then they're stuck in their own end and then Cassidy has last change and the Leafs can't can't change obviously and then the Bozak line's out there after an icing so that's hugely problematic but when they are getting the matchups when they are playing against Kerali and uh, Akiari Achiari on Boston and, and those kind of guys mm-hmm. I think that they've been really good so that's you need to keep that the offensive depth is a big reason why the Leafs scored as many goals as they did and it's going to be a reason why they win this series if they can get them I think Browns look better I think JVR other than the dumb penalties he was kind of taking in Boston has started to look better I, th- I think that they can make an impact well and if you look at the, the Boston third and fourth lines they're not they're kind of like workmanlike top fourth third and fourth lines where they're they're pretty good skaters they're physical but they're not really probably going to beat you all that much offensively do you think that's fair yeah yeah I was asking around when I was at Boston some of the people who have watched them play a lot more and it's like like they're going to work hard they're going to hit but there's not a lot of offensive ability there like there's just not as much they're not Kappen and Nyonsen they're not Brown and JVR and Bozak like they're they're gonna they're gonna try and forecheck really hard and make you make mistakes under pressure and bang in some garbage goals that's all they've got but Mm -hmm. you know in terms of you look at the scoring chance numbers and the Leafs depth guys are when Bergeron's not on the ice the Leafs are winning this series at even strength by by a large margin well and that's what good depth should do good offensive depth um let's talk about before we wrap up um Morgan Riley and kind of that defensive pair I we had talked about it on the podcast coming back from Boston that we wondered what he would do against the Bergeron line, Mike Babcock. And he obviously went back to Riley and, and Hainsey. It wasn't great, but it wasn't like the game one debacle. And obviously Riley looking like he did in the regular season makes a big difference. I think Riley, that was one of the better games of his career given the circumstance and given the emotion and the fire that he played with and he just looked like a, a player possessed. That he was did not he was not going to lose that game. I, I thought that. I know that the numbers aren't always great, but they're playing against potentially the best even strength line in the NHL, mm-hmm. and I think that that passion and the, just the way he was battling with Pasternak and frustrating him, that's what they need from Riley. They need him to really step up, and I think he looked like a number one defenseman and. You know, people need to remember that he's kind of carrying a 37-year-old Ron Hainsey around the ice a little bit. And he has to, Riley has to make a lot of the plays coming out of their zone. Um, There's a lot of pressure on him. I liked how assertive he was with the puck. That's the word that was just sticking out of my mind. Like, you think of some of the play. There was one play he stood Pasternak up at the Boston Blue Line and just hammered him. And you could see, like, physically he wanted to get himself involved. But also skating the puck out, making things happen. Like, the pass he made to, I guess it was Marner off the boards that led to the Marlowe goal. Like, that's the kind of stuff when, when a player's confident he's going to make those plays. And not only that, but, like, the Bruins pressure so hard on the forecheck that I think a lot of the time, and this is Justin Bourne wrote a great piece on this with some video, a lot of the time the Leafs' blue liners are panicking with the puck and just moving it as fast as they can. Um, well, let's, let's like, look at half of their defense. Like, Zaitsev, Polak, Hainsey are, are, are not going to be great under pressure. They're not going to make great plays with the puck when they're pressured. So they need Gardner and Riley to make good plays, and I thought that Riley did. And that what I was going to say is that when you're feeling that pressure, to still have the confidence to carry the puck and skate around them, yeah. it really opens up a lot of lanes and a lot of plays, and Riley was able to do that. Well, and a couple times, actually, Travis Dermott got burned 
trying to make a play. Like the, Well, one of them early in the game, you skating through the neutral zone, turn the puck over, and it led to a chance for the Marchand line. That kind of stuff, obviously. That's why he only played 12 minutes. Yes. And it happened a couple other times where he made plays that resulted in chances. So it's you have to – that's the thing. is like you want them to be aggressive because it opens up offensive chances. But if you're too aggressive in the wrong times – and that's the knock on Dermott even going back to the AHL is that he's overly aggressive and doesn't pick his spots properly. And that's something that he needs to learn. But, Riley but, did it really well, and I think Gardner did it well too. But you know what? I would rather have a guy being aggressive than being scared to make a play because – that's death, I would think, in the playoffs. They've got some D that are scared to make a play that are just... Like, you can... You know, I was pointing it out. Remember, we were watching in Game 3, and I was like, he didn't even look. Like, the D... Well, Zaitsev. He didn't even look what what options he had. He had options, and he just rammed up the boards and went right to a Bruin. The yeah. Bruins know that those defensemen are panicking, and they're always having a guy along the boards waiting for that puck. Mm-hmm. That's that's like beer league stuff. Like, like you know, when but we... But that's, like, one of the things, like, when you look at Nikita Zaitsev... He is, he's never been good at that. Like, he's never, when you pressure him, he kind of panics and isn't able to make a play with a puck. Yeah. But what, I guess what I mean with that's beer league stuff, it's like if the D man has the puck behind the net and you're coming into right. the zone, you know they're going to wang it up the boards. And you, all you got to do is just, just get yourself up against the boards and you'll get, you're going to get the puck. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's what the Bruins are doing. The Bruins are playing, they're making, they're playing like really fundamental hockey and that I think that they're very well coached I think that they are they have some smart players that that game plan and watch the video very well and you know the Leafs are still need to work on some of those things okay before we wrap um I'm putting you on the spot here and I'll put myself on the spot the Leafs will win game four if Anderson plays better I'll go if the Matthews line dominates because as good as it like he obviously scored a, a key goal the game winning goal but that line didn't dominate per se and I think there's another level for them if the Leafs are winning this series Anderson has to win them a game or two that's what he did during the season he won them a percentage of their games they're not a 105 point team if Anderson doesn't have that crazy run from December to February or whatever he was really 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 good and he has that ability he can be better than Tuka Rask he needs to he looks nervous and he looks like he's when he looks bad he's he's kind of sliding around in the net he looks he looks more like a James Reimer or a McElhaney he needs to look like Carey Price he needs to be really really calm quiet and really quiet in the net for a big man and just not give up a lot of options to shooters and we haven't seen that he's been kind of just like flinging himself all over the place and so if he can get back to where he's centered you know, they'd, I, I think for them to win this series, like I said, I think he has to be really, really good, and he hasn't been that yet. Okay, we will record after Game 4. When do you want to do that? Friday morning or Friday in Boston? Maybe we'll do it at the airport. Yeah. Or right. maybe when we get to Boston well, on Friday. Yeah, maybe when we get to Boston. All right, well, stay tuned for Game 5, a uh, recap and potentially a preview. Well, obviously a preview of Game 5, a wrap of Game 4. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening, everybody. But if it's the truth, the way-